not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine, after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. That is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Sorry, I'm just laughing. That was a little old, low energy on that. <laughs> Praise to you, O Christ, but it's okay. I understand. It's kind of a sleepy morning. So, winter found us on Friday evening. Um, one of the things I like to do when you get kind of the first big snowstorm, and I bet a lot of you do this too, is you go out late at night and you just listen. And what's cool about doing that when it's snowing outside is you think that we're, if you're really in search of silence in our world, you'd, you'd like going to the wilderness someplace. But I think like this is the summer that will take our senior high to the boundary waters uh, in far northern Minnesota. Uh, when you're in the wilderness, it's not quiet. I mean, the water is flowing, the wind is blowing, uh, the loons are making their noise in the distance. You can hear the, the coyotes and the wolves. I mean, it's not quiet at all in the wilderness. But in that first big snowstorm, you go outside at night and, and the snow absorbs all of the sound. And, and you just listen to this wonderful non-noise. Winter found us on Friday night. And, and if, you're a, if you're a kid, I've long since I've grown something like this, but maybe while you're standing there outside, you stick your tongue out and catch a couple of snowflakes. Okay, wait, maybe I did do that. And, and, and it elicits different behaviors from people. If, if you're like the 90-some percent of us who have been through a few winters in places like this, when you drive, you know, suddenly uh, the rules are different in almost kind of a good way. People are a little more attentive to things. Uh, everybody recognizes that stop signs don't really mean stop. And, and if you're both coming to an intersection and the other person's going uphill, you're going to yield to them. Because you know other people don't want to lose momentum when they're going uphill in the midst of the snow. Uh, it's almost as if there is this higher degree of cooperativeness uh, to face this common challenge. Winter found us Friday night. I can't believe Barb and I blew it last Saturday night, a week ago Saturday night. So we were hosting the the faith and fellowship group at, at our house. And our oldest son, David, is, is home right now. And so Barb decides that David's the appropriate person to go out and, and buy some wine that we can serve at this gathering for the faith and fellowship group. And, and she thought, you know, David is like perfectly suited to do this because uh, David worked for two and a half years as a bouncer at the college club in Madison. How many of you have been to the college club? Okay, so, you know, the KK, doesn't that place just say to you, wine connoisseur, when you think about it? I mean, absolutely. So David is so well-trained, two and a half years of experience working at the KK. And so she sends him out on the wine-buying mission. And, and I'm absent for all of this. And so then he comes back, and he's hauling all this stuff in from the shopping thing and all this stuff. And then he makes sure that he pauses so that, that he can put on the table his big purchase for his mom. And he slugs down on the table this gallon jug of Carlo Rossi Merlot. And she says, and he says, this is what I got for the wine for everybody. And Barb's like, Barb, buy 
denies this, of course, hook, line, and sinker. Like, oh, no, he didn't do that. And he, like, pushes it as far as he can. And finally, then he goes back outside and he brings in a couple of bottles of wine. They're a little higher quality than the Carlo Rossi. But then what we really blew was this was the opportunity. When all the guests came, we could have served the Carlo Rossi first. And then we could have pulled out the good stuff at the end. And then we could have said to them, you just lived out next week's gospel lesson from John chapter 2. It would have been beautiful. This is what pastors dream about. Now you're all going to seek ordination. I know, I know. And, of course, then this leads us into today's gospel lesson, which is actually kind of a funny thing when you listen to it. And it's also so filled with meaning, and we can't even get to all of it. But let's just get to a little bit of it. What are the first four words of the gospel lesson today? You can look. It's in your bulletin. How does it start? On the third day. As a reader, what's that reminding you of from the very beginning? It's getting you to the end of Jesus' life, the three days between death and resurrection. And what are the last six words, as long as you're looking at it? And his disciples believed in him. The whole point of death and resurrection is to elicit belief. And so from the very beginning, if you're reading this 2,000 years later, you have this little clue that the evangelist John thinks that this particular story, like so many in his gospel, have something to do with, with life and death and with the belief that Jesus' ministry of love and community and sacrifice elicits from human beings, sometimes almost uh, as, as a reaction, almost as if it comes from beyond us someplace. And so then he starts to tell us this particular story. And, and it starts with Jesus and his disciples and Mary are all at this wedding in Cana, which was near Capernaum, his pace, place of operation. It's probably the whole community is invited. And they start running out of wine. And at this point, uh, Mary comes to Jesus and says, like, basically, they're running out of wine. Which, okay, that's, that's funny just to begin with. Because well, think of moms and sons. Oh, wait, think of Barb and David. I mean, she doesn't really exactly tell him what she wants done. Just, like, they're running out of wine, Jesus. They're running out of wine, Jesus. And Jesus, like every son in history, and maybe not every son in history, somewhere out there is the perfect son who never does this, not me, uh, says to his mom, Woman, what is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. Now, there are three things about that. What Number one, woman sounds really bad in English, but it's actually more like ma'am. So it's actually a polite address to her in public. So it's ma'am, like, really? What, what are you asking me here, mom? Is that really our business? My hour has not yet come. In John's gospel, when's Jesus' hour? Any ideas? It's... On the cross, that's his hour. That's when everything gets fulfilled. So at some level, everything he does in his ministry is before his hour comes. But he chooses to say it here. It's almost as if, oh, wait a second. It is as if Jesus is pushing his mom and her request away from him. This is, of course, Jesus, son of God. You would think that him pushing her away would end the matter, correct? No. Mary is not intimidated by Son of God, true man, and all that stuff that's in the creeds. And in fact, she doesn't even answer him. What does she say next? She just blows Jesus off and says to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. I love that one. And of course, he does something about it. He turns to the servants and he says, you see those six really big, heavy jars over there? That'll be even bigger and heavier if you fill them with water. Go do it. And so they go do it, and they probably fill it from some cistern someplace. In other words, it's not the, the water you would normally get for drinking. It's water used for purification of the hands and feet. So at some level, it's kind of like dirty water, and they fill it up. 
And then he says, draw something out of it and give it to the wine store, which they do. The water has become wine, like let's say 180 gallons worth. I had last night at the service, somebody did all the calculations to transfer that into nowadays, uh, if it was in 750 milliliter lot bottles, uh, multiplied by the most expensive bottle of wine in the world nowadays. So he creates $17,280,000 worth of wine in this little episode. There's a factoid to hang on to, everybody. Just based on today's market prices, it might be different tomorrow. Maybe you should invest today. Anyhow, changes all this water into wine. And the last thing that gets said was, wow, that is like the best wine. You save the best for last. So first thing about this story, which at some level is so like, you know, who hasn't faced host crisis at some point when the food uh, or whatever is, is running out? Uh, who hasn't faced indirect questions or challenges or requests from people that are close to you that you are not immediately excited about responding to? Who hasn't tried to convey something important by not actually saying it to the person, but just hoping that they'll read your mind at some level? In other words, this story is about all of us all the time in our relationships. And then it's about something spectacular, how Jesus responds. But maybe it isn't so spectacular, only in the sense that it's not unusual. In other words, when you think about it, we in the life of faith or the life of unfaith that we all kind of walk, I mean, we don't ask very well of God or each other. Don't always know what to ask for. Frequently, don't ask at all. Get it wrong. Ask for too much. And the thing about God is God speaks our language better than we do anyway. And God's really good at answering and, and also answering with amazing, unexpected abundance. I mean, Mary didn't really ask for anything other than Jesus do something. And he makes more than enough and he makes it really good. And he bails everybody out which is maybe kind of a working definition of God. So, have, have you ever not been excited to do something? Anything. Yeah, of course. It's, it's the human experience. Um, I, I think, to me, the real... The real benefit of this story, and, and I think the takeaway for me that makes the most sense is that here you have Jesus who, who gets asked to do something by someone who's really important to him and, and he doesn't immediately want to do it. And in fact, he kind of uh, avoids doing it to begin with. Which I would think is a universal experience for all of us in all sorts of parts of our lives, not just the faith part of life. And, and I think the truth it gets at is, and maybe this is especially true in spiritual matters, is that sometimes the task finds you. Winter found us on Friday night. The tasks find us as well in life, and they're not just things that you do. And, and, in other words, there are just places you end up in your mind sometimes in life. Um, places where you get ahead of yourself. Places where 
um, you kind of want to be somebody else. Places where uh, you were so sure you could do it yesterday and now you're so discouraged and convinced uh, not only can you not do whatever it is, but why did you ever think that in the first place? We end up in these places in our minds. And sometimes in our lives we, we, we absorb like really unfair criticism or um, rightful criticism and, and we're embarrassed by our failures. And, and you wonder, how do I respond to that? And, and yet... Every once in a while, in, in the face of, of something like that, uh, say somebody putting you down, somebody laying something on you that you didn't deserve, what actually comes out of you in response to that is, is uh, towards other people actually graciousness and, and happiness and energy and hope. And you almost wonder, where the heck did that come from? But, but see, good things find us as well, not not just life's tasks. Now, I don't direct this at any one individual, because this is true of me and everybody here and anybody who's ever been part of a church anywhere. I, I think it's part and parcel of why you'd be here. But for sure, I would think at some point in your life, as, as you think about wherever your faith is at, really tiny as a mustard seed, or maybe it's grown to be a really big tree, but at, at some point along that journey, you think to yourself, wow, I could, I'd like to learn more. I'd like to serve in some way. I'd like to share. I'd, I'd like to be fed, what, whatever it is. And, and, you, and you ask somebody for guidance on that. Uh, you come to somebody like me and, and say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this, and, and I, I just wonder where I should go with it. And, and then somebody like me, but it, it, it could be anybody, says, well, maybe you could try this, or maybe you could try this, or maybe you could try this. And, and your responses then when those things are suggested are, well, um, no, I don't think that's a good fit. Uh, I don't know that I can, can work in that particular setting. It, it's not a good time. My hour has not yet come. Okay? Uh, in other words, I, I think because of sometimes our insecurities or our uncertainties, uh, we, we just push away. And I'm almost at the point where I, when somebody approaches me with that question, I almost don't answer it anymore. Um, you know, if they don't know, how am I going to know? Which is a little snarky. But, but the deeper truth is, I'm not sure that when we're searching for it, like, that it's actually there. Um, in, in other words, sometimes you have to dive in and the task finds you. Perhaps at some level that's really the only way it happens. One of the ways I always observe it happening in, in this particular congregation, and, and no pressure on you, Fred, when we get later in the service, but one of the things that's interesting here is that, that worship assistants... Um, uh, I should back up and say, like, you could all be a worship assistant at some level. You'd all look great in white. I'm just going to say that. But you know, if, you, if you watch what, like, Fred's doing at the service, he's just reading stuff out of the bulletin. I mean, like, you could all do that and keep track of where the service is going. Uh, maybe you should think about it. 
But the only thing that's hard about doing it is you have to write prayers when we get to that point in the service. And, and people often hesitate specifically because of that. Uh, because they say, well, what would I say? And, and how could I articulate it? And I'm not used to praying in public. And uh, I don't even pray that well by myself sometimes. How could I do it in front of people? But see, praying, praying is actually an expression, I think, honestly, of, of, of your heart. And, wow, if you can't pray, what else does that say about any conversation where you're trying to own what's on your heart? If it's, if it's what's hard for you, should you not work at it? And see, that's, that's why I, I'm not sure you can suggest things like this to people. In other words, anything that we suggest to each other that's hard, we're not going to want to do it, right? And so the task finds you. And, and any spiritual gift, as Paul says, is for the common good. It's not yours anyway. And so, in fact, the things that are hard are precisely the things that you and I should seize upon. And we should seize upon them not because we're at issue, because we aren't. You're not the issue. I'm not the issue. It's, it's for the common good that we pray aloud and, and seek to be in touch with a God who loves us and knows the words anyway and has a better answer in store for us. I'm always kind of intrigued that in history and in literature and in movies, all this, all this attention has been paid uh, to the, the quest for searching for the Holy Grail, that cup of wine that Jesus held at the Last Supper. Who cares about the cup? Who cares about the Shroud of Turin? How, how can something material have anything to do with what is spiritually ultimate in our lives? It is utterly irrelevant. What has puzzled me is why haven't people looked for the wine that he made at Cana? He made 180 gallons of wine. If the stupid cup survived, why wouldn't one of the bottles of wine have survived? Go out there today and search for one of those bottles, people. Write a movie about it. Come on. But see, the, the point of that is... is that's what we should search for. Because at some level, the wine is, is what Jesus made. And, he, and the things that were important are the things that he made. In other words, what he made as he walked through his ministry was the capacity to bring the people back in who were left out or pushed outside in the first place. That stuff exists and endures. It's the people he forgave. It's the people who were starving spiritually that he fed. It was the people who were sick inside and didn't even know it, and he healed them anyway. These are the gifts that he made, and they last forever, and they can still be found by we, his people. Winter found us on Friday night. Jesus, he found us first. And anything he makes is the best. Find it, grab it, be it.